Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. It is Wednesday, April 4th. The Clemson men's basketball team has just wrapped up a pretty incredible season with a Sweet 16 run in the NCAA tournament. The boys on the diamond have bounced back from their first losing streak of the season. And on the gridiron, the pod drill is underway. So a lot of exciting things going on right now in Clemson sports. Ben and Sam with you here today. We are here to particularly talk about the Clemson men's basketball team and their incredible run in the NCAA tournament, as well as topping off a pretty exciting and overachieving season for the team. And then also we'll talk a little bit about baseball here. The Clemson men's baseball team still struggling a little bit at the plate, but they've turned it around after a series sweep versus NC State earlier in the season. But let's start off with talking about basketball. Sam... It was better than expected this year. I think Clemson fans probably expected a little bit more than the ACC writers who picked Clemson to finish 13th earlier in the season. But overall, great run for this team this year. Amazing run. Uh, better than expected is a strong understatement for a team that was projected to finish 13th um, 
in the ACC in their own tournament. We ended up in the Sweet 16, one of the last 16 teams in the country, gave a great fight against one of the top four, te- <clears throat> top four teams in the country going into the tournament. Uh, there's no way we could have expected anything better this year, and it was a heck of a ride. Especially the losing Dante Grantham. Yeah, that's without without arguably our best player for the last third of the season. And uh, guys stepped up, Gabe specifically, Eli, um, the other guards, Keese and Shelton, the freshmen. Everybody did their part to chip in and, and turn this into an incredible postseason and finish to a really, really strong year. Well, and aside from all the excitement um, from this year, we have to be really encouraged about what's coming back next year potentially. Um, we know Shelton Mitchell and Marquise Reed uh, declared for the NBA draft. Yeah, the key uh, there is that they did not hire agents. Yeah, exactly. So they're going to test the water, so to speak, kind of the level of competition. Dante Grantham did the same thing last year. Um, but we don't expect them to go anywhere. We expect them to be back on Clemson's roster next year as well. Elijah Thomas has already declared he will be back as well. Uh, before we get too deep into Clemson's NCAA tournament run and then also reflecting back on their season, let's talk about the tournament itself. Um, pretty crazy tournament. It's all starting with University of Maryland, Baltimore counties upset over Virginia. The first time a 16 seed has ever beaten a one seed in the NCAA tournament. Then you have Loyola, Chicago, and Sister Jean uh, making it a pretty good run all the way to the Final Four. That was exciting. My team, Kansas, my other team, Kansas, making it to the Final Four. Um, and then ultimately a very boring uh, national championship game between Villanova and Michigan. Yeah, for a season that seemed so uh, topsy-turvy the entire year with qu- crazy twists and turns and teams that you don't expect playing really, really well and teams that you expected to be good being terrible, um, the season ended on a pretty normal note. One of the top two teams in the country who crushed their way through the entire tournament, Villanova didn't lose a single or didn't win a game by less than 12 points throughout the tournament. Um they were fairly dominant the entire season, and they ended up winning the national championship for the second time in three years. Um, that win for them pretty much validates um, Coach Wright's status as one of the elite coaches in, go- in college basketball. Um, and it really shows that you don't need freshman phenoms to win uh, a bunch of national championships because his teams are all about player development and improvements over uh, the course of four years. Well, nor do you need to be in a Power Five conference in basketball to have success. I mean, we see that year in year out, and again, Loyola, Chicago, and the run they make. Uh, but yeah, pretty incredible by Villanova. I mean, they were they were crushing people, and they were clearly the best team in the country. I mean, they crushed Kansas, got out to a twenty point lead, and never looked back early on in that game. So, uh, kudos to Villanova. I. Do wish that maybe Michigan wouldn't have made it. I would rather see Villanova blow, uh, blow out Loyola. Um, if, if any team, at least we get to cheer for them. But uh, yeah, Michigan, kind of boring. Two teams from the north, nobody really cares outside of that area. So we could have asked for a better championship game. But overall, I thought the tournament was pretty exciting. Yeah, the uh, the games, the scores in the Final Four were a little bit disappointing. But the quality of the tournament overall was fantastic. And while we were watching the Final Four for the men's, the women's were... Just we have to give a shout out to Notre Dame uh, women's national champions and um, their key player, Ogbenwale. Sorry if I got that wrong. I don't think anybody on here is going to know if you're wrong. Not going to know. But anyway, she hit two game winners, one to get them into the national championship and then a game winner with 0.1 seconds left to win the college basketball national championship. Uh, Pretty incredible story for them. They knocked off UConn in that final four game. 
So those UCon- UConn kind of slipping a little bit. This is the second year in a row. In a row yeah. yeah, they they haven't won. They lost to South Carolina last year. Yeah. So it was uh, an incredible finish to the women's tournament and a little bit of blowouts for the men's, but still a really really fun college basketball season across the board. Well, that's about all the women's basketball talk we'll probably do on this show until Clemson is ever good at getting women's basketball or period. We should mention on the women's basketball front for Clemson note that uh, Coach Audra Smith has been let go. She It is relevant to the men's team as well because uh, she is the mother of A.J. Oliver. So we'll see if that plays into his uh, his future with the program. Hopefully it won't. Uh, it was pretty cool, though, after uh, you know this was after she was fired and Elijah Thomas tweeted that he was coming back. She she retweeted or commented on this tweet, uh, whatever you call it in the Twitter Twitter world, um, encouraging him. So that's that's good to see. And listen, where, I mean, where's she going to go? Is she going to go to kind of a mid-major school? Is A.J. Oliver going to go there? I mean, I can understand if it was his dad coaching the basketball team and coaching his team, but it's his mom. And, you know, his, mo- his mom's a smart lady. I'm sure she's telling, giving him the best advice and saying, listen, she may be saying, listen, don't follow me. You've got a good thing going on here. Don't worry about it. It's just business. So, um, you know, thanks to her for the service that yep. she, she gave to Clemson once a Tiger, always a Tiger. And, yeah, hoping A.J. Oliver stays because he really came on strong at the end of the year. Yeah, he was a great contributor, one of the several freshmen throughout the season that that really chipped in a lot. And he had a couple games towards the end of the season where he was just incredible, that three, uh, three-pointer three game that he had towards the end of the year and solid minutes all throughout the NCAA tournament. Yeah, so speaking of the NCAA tournament, let's talk about Clemson's run. You know, we already touched on in the last episode um, Clemson's first two wins, uh, first over New Mexico State, and then a blowout victory over Auburn. Get into the Sweet 16, and it looks like they're at first that maybe Clemson's a little over their heads here, uh, but... Amazing effort by those guys to never get up and to pull within four. Yeah. Um, right there at the end of the game, ultimately, um, you know, only to lose by what, six points? Four. Or lost four, by four. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So incredible comeback. You know, those guys played with guts. Gabe DeVoe, man, just played out of his mind for his last game in his college career. That was, you know, that was kind of a, a silver lining there. Mm hmm. Um, but couldn't be more proud of the way this Clemson basketball team all, uh, played all year, but especially in the, in the tournament. Yeah, that Kansas game started off terribly. Uh, we were down a lot early, and then we were sort of making a run towards the end of the first half, and then Eli got called for a flagrant, and it sort of completely killed the momentum. Yeah. We ended up going into the half down 13, and Kansas started off the second half hitting three threes in a row. We're down 20 immediately. And at that point in the game, I think our, our odds of winning were less than uh, 1%, yeah. something like that. And it kind of hovered around that percentage for the rest of the game. Yeah, uh, I mean, we were down 11 with just over four minutes to play. Down 15 with four and a half, 442 to go. Yeah. Um, so we didn't look good for the first 45 minutes of the game plus, 50 minutes of the game plus. And uh, the last 442, we went from 15 down to four down to end the game. Gabe specifically was out of his mind. Um, he ended up with 31 and nine for the game with three assists and three steals. It's the most points scored by a Clemson Tiger in an NCAA, tur- NCAA tournament game ever. Uh, so congrats to Gabe. He was named to several postseason teams. He was um, in an all-star game for college basketball. He was in the Midwest team uh, for the tournament. He was just, he had a great tournament and was incredible in that game 
especially. Well, and he's also the first player in Clemson history to score 20-plus points in three consecutive NCAA tournament games. Now, granted, not a lot of Clemson players have played three consecutive NCAA tournament games. That's true. But nevertheless, he owns that record as well. And then he also posted the 27th triple leadership in program history, um, which I had no clue this was a thing, but he led the team in points, rebounds, and assists against Kansas. Yeah. So that's a single-game accolade. That's pretty impressive. Um, yeah, he just, he was great. He was 10 of 17 from the field and really just was the spark plug the entire game. Every time we needed a shot, he was hitting it, um, or making a play or getting a rebound. And it was just a ton of fun to watch him have that as his send off game. So that being said, what happened in this game? How did Clemson end up falling so far behind early on? I mean, it did look like they were overwhelmed, uh, Kansas was hitting shots and listen, they're a super talented basketball team. That blowout loss that they had against Villanova in the Final Four uh, does not... That was the outlier. For yeah, it does not paint yeah. a clear picture of who Kansas was. Maybe not considered as good as they have been in year, years past, but still a ton of talent on that team. So what, what, what was Clemson's issue starting off that game? So the first half, we had a bunch of stupid turnovers. Um, but beyond that, we played pretty much to the plan that we would have liked to have seen. We defended the perimeter well. They didn't shoot great from three. Um, in the first half. And the problem was we were making mistakes and giving up layups to guys like Azubuki and D'Souza down low um, because we were pressuring too hard at the perimeter. So we sacrificed shots at the rim instead of letting them get hot from three. And then in the second half, they got hot from three anyway. And uh, the game sort of went downhill quickly. Second half, we turned it around. We, uh, especially at the end of the game, we picked up pressure and forced a bunch of turnovers from them to turn it around. Um, but I think for, for Kansas, the, the key players were their big guys. Azubuki and, and D'Souza were fantastic. Azubuki in particular just looked unstoppable against well, our I guys. Mean, a guy like that, it's impossible to guard him, um, especially if Eli's trying to stay out of foul trouble. And then Mark Donald did not have an, a terribly impressive game uh, with his defense there, you know, thanks to all he did all year and his great performance. But, um, you know, there's a reason why he transferred from Michigan. You know, he could have been playing in the championship game this year. But, you know, he only averaged about 12 minutes this year for Clemson. But, you know, all in all, he was a solid contributor. He was a guy that Clemson needed as a plug-in piece to, to kind of bridge the gap um, until some of the younger guys, uh, guys like Malik Williams and Amir Sims, get um, – kind of battle tested and get their feet wet in ACC and just really NCAA basketball level play in general. Um, but at the end of the day, I mean, Clemson was just overmatched and Kansas was just much more talented team, but you know, they battled back and that yeah. was, you know, I've, I've very rarely ever seen a Brad Brownell team quit or give up. Um, he's never seemed to, to, to lose the team. He kind of did towards the end of last year. It seems like he kind of lost the team a little bit, and that was the first time I really saw that, especially in that Oakland game. Uh, but that was an outlier, right? Absolutely. Uh, that, that's not the normal with him. We see that now. We saw that um, in the ACC championship game or the ACC tournament game against Virginia, and then also here against Kansas. So yeah, there were so many times throughout this season where we got down big in the first half and came back and killed people in the second. Uh, the Kansas game, we outplayed them tremendously in the second half uh they made a couple of shots that they shouldn't have or that were crazy difficult in the second half that sort of kept them ahead um but we just we dug ourselves too much of a hole in that first half 
to be able to finish that comeback. So the fact that they were able to bring it down to four at the end of the game was just a great effort. And it, to your point, Brad Brennell's teams don't usually quit. And this year we really didn't. We fought back so many times. Yeah. So bottom line is I'm not going to sit here and be upset and nitpick about uh, the sweet 16 game against Kansas. Like Clemson's basketball team blew my expectations out of the water and they put, you know, every ounce of hard and effort that they had into that game. And I'm happy. I'm, I'm happy with the outcome. You know, the, the second worst thing that could have happened besides Clemson losing would was uh, if Duke won the Elite Eight game and went on to the Final Four. So, hey, you know, Duke still lost. Kansas beat them. So I'm happy about that. Um, it was just kind of a crappy Final Four. Yeah. Really, my, when I look back, my interest level kind of ended at the Sweet 16, but it is what it is. Uh, but let's talk about where Clemson sits now. They, they finished the season ranked 15th in the coaches' poll. Um, and ESPN's way too early 2019 rankings. They sit at 18th. That doesn't really count for much in my book. But no, whatever. it doesn't. Um, as we mentioned, Elijah Thomas coming back. we 95% sure that Shelton Mitchell and Marquise Reed are coming back. And this Clemson team ended the season with a school record 25 wins. They were 25-9, and 11-7 and seven in ACC play. They had no back-to-back losses outside of the three-game losing streak where, uh, you know, two of those with Shelton Mitchell out and all three of them without Dante Grantham. So, yeah, just an an excellent year and a lot of encouragement going into next year with the guys coming back. Do lose Gabe DeVoe, Dante Grantham, obviously, Mark Donald, but all these freshmen that got such good playing time this year. Amir Sims. Uh, Malik Williams, AJ Oliver, Scott Spencer, you know, yep. Amir Trap. Trap. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, the future of the program is bright. We've got three guys leaving the program, uh, Dante, Gabe, and Mark, but we've got three freshmen coming in that sort of fill a lot of those roles. Um, we've got uh, shooting guard, John Newman. Uh, power forward Trey Jemison, who's six eleven. He's a big guy. He'll probably play some center for us. And then Hunter Tyson's a, a slashing small forward that's coming in. So uh, they sort of fill the roles that are leaving. Uh, we get a shooting guard to replace Gabe. We get a power forward to replace Mark, and we get a slasher to replace Dante. Um, and obviously, these guys are not going to be as well rounded as as those three are leaving the program. Uh, but it sets us up well to have good balance next year. And like you mentioned, all of our freshmen and sophomores this year got a ton of valuable minutes on the court. Yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, I, I wish they were playing tomorrow. Like, I, I was actually a week out after the Sweet 16 game, and I was itching to see more Clemson basketball. Um, I don't believe they have a summer trip or anything planned this year. I think you can Not only sure. do those once every three yeah. years or something like that. Um, but, yeah, it'll next November cannot come soon enough to uh, see this yeah. Clemson basketball team get back on the court. It's always fun to to look forward and and especially when we've had we've got potential for a good season next year. Um, as a huge basketball fan personally, I never want the seasons to end. So um, March is is one of my favorite times of year, and it, it's it's a long wait until the next season starts. But uh, it's been a great year, and the program is in a great position, and it should be potentially even better next year. So uh, that's what I want to get to. What should Clemson fans' expectations be for basketball now? I mean, I think going into next year, they have to be high, and anything certainly short of an NCAA berth would be disappointing. But 
you know, you'd expect a Sweet 16 run again next year, possibly even further, you know, given Reed and Mitchell come back, given that there aren't any devastating injuries on the team. But you saw the development of Elijah Thomas this year and him starting to become a dominant player. You have to think that Marquise Reed is going to keep it up. He will certainly be most likely be the leading scorer next year as he was this year. If his ball handling skills improve, Shelton Mitchell, we saw how valuable he was when he went down. Um, and then all the young guys. I mean, so Clemson's expectation should be high. But even looking beyond that, this is some momentum now that Brad Belnell should be able to maintain. He's He can build off the success. He's got the facilities, starting to recruit a little bit better. I mean, we're looking at a – we could go on a little run here of Clemson actually being good at basketball. It's definitely possible. And we're going to cross our fingers and hope that it, it holds true. Um, as far as expectations for next year go, I think that – an NCAA tournament is definitely something we should hold these guys to as a goal. Um, beyond that, how deep they make a run is there's so many variables at play before the season even starts. Uh, will we lose any guys to transfers? Will we get anybody else in from, from transfers? Will uh, more ACC teams load up on recruits like Duke did? We'll see. Um, but somewhere in the middle to upper half of the ACC next year, with an NCAA tournament appearance and hopefully a, at least a Sweet 16 run would be, I think, a successful season. Uh, anything above that is going to be really gravy. Uh, anything lower than that, if we struggle in the ACC next year or miss the tournament, that's definitely going to be um, an underachieving team for, for the potential that we've got. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that you'd be justified if you got upset if Clemson didn't make the tournament or even didn't win the the opening round game. Now, I think beyond that, that, you know, you're not going to sustain this every single year. Things happen. I mean, we, we saw it throughout this tournament. You see it in every tournament. Sometimes the lower seed just ends up winning. They're having a better night. So I think getting in and winning a game next year should at least be the expectation. The hope being that you go much further than that. But, you know, people have been on Brad Brown the last couple of years, so I think this was some vindication for him to get this team to the tournament and play as well as they did. But a pretty interesting stat that I don't think a lot of people are aware of, uh, Brad Brown now is sixth in the ACC and wins during his tenure. Hmm. Um, he's got 67. That's behind only Duke, UNC, Virginia, Miami, and FSU. Yeah. I mean, I those are consistent tournament teams. So for Brownell to be right there in that category six, that's that's better than, you know, he's in the top half, almost in the top third. Yeah, and that's those are all coaches who've been with their programs for at least as long as he has. Um, so it's you know maybe the the seniority and the the tenure that he's got now is has really established his program, and we'll be able to see sustained success, and they'll be able to move up through the ranks and get up to fifth, fourth, third, who knows? Um, but it's it's looking very bright right now. What do you think is more likely to come first, a Clemson ACC championship, like a tournament championship, or a Clemson Final Four uh, appearance? If you'd said Elite Eight, I definitely would have taken Elite Eight. Um, Final Four, just it takes such a good run to get there. And you saw it this year from teams like Michigan and um, Villanova, obviously, and Loyola um, and Kansas. But it's it's such a tough thing to get to the final four. So I'd have to go with the ACC tournament. Those weekends in in, in Brooklyn just get out of control sometimes and wild things happen. Um, and it's five days in a row. Um, so I think there's a little bit more volatility to that than 
the top teams eventually winning out in the NCAAs like we saw this year. So I'd, I'd take the uh, ACC tournament victory. Well, it may come sooner rather than later, or at least sooner than Let's expected. Hope. I mean, what we saw this year and why Clemson was so successful, especially in the tournament, is you know really good guard play gets you there. Um, Clemson should have that next year for sure. And then also good defense. And Clemson played solid defense all year long. Now, Kansas was just hitting shots. They were Everything was going in. There's not much you can do about that. Hopefully, Clemson has more of an inside uh, defender presence ne- next year outside of Eli. Mm-hmm. Amir Sim should help out with that. Malik Williams. Uh, but I think it's certainly possible. I mean, it's something to talk about. I mean, just think, had they beaten Kansas, then you had Duke in your way. And we know that Clemson was capable of beating Duke this year. They didn't, but they, you know, they came close um, without Shelton Mitchell and uh, Grantham. So it's possible. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Yes, it's hard to do it. Um, they could just as easily go out in the first round, the a fact, la Virginia. Absolutely. The fact that we're able to have this conversation and, and no one's going to laugh at it is uh, just a huge step from last year. Had we said uh, last year, oh, what are the chances that we win the ACC, ACC tournament or make a Final Four People have given it next to nothing. Uh, well, I now, still think maybe 50% of Clemson fans might laugh at it, but, you know, that, that, that number is diminishing. It's getting smaller and smaller by the minute. So, um, you know, it's it's a great great thing that they've done this year. Brad Brownell deserves all the accolades he, he didn't get this year. Um, obviously, Virginia going out in the first round to UMBC. Oh, I love how Tony Bennett then had to accept his award for Coach of the Year. Yeah, that that had to sting a bit, um, but Brad, you know, finished second in those in those voting in the voting for ACC Coach of the Year, and he probably should have won because uh, he did more with less, and he dealt with the injuries throughout the season to top players and uh, developed people throughout the season. It was just it was a really good coaching job by the, the entire staff, and uh, something to be proud of for this program. Well, so let's not close the door on this team in this season quite yet. Let's finish up this segment. Um, we're going to do our season awards, similar to what we do in football. Not as many categories because it's basketball and there's less guys, but we've got a handful here. Um, in football, we come up with a new name every year. I think uh, this past season was the Watsons. Uh, this year, I'm going to go with the DeMontes Stitts in memory of uh, DeMontes Stitt. Uh, former uh, great Clemson point guard under Oliver Purnell passed away um, uh, untimely passing, un- unfortunately. So we're going to devote this to him. Let's get it kicked off here. Sam, um, who's your most improved guy this year? My, I think my most improved player, uh, if you're looking at it from last year to this year has got to be Eli Thomas. He's somebody who had a lot of trouble staying on the court at all last year because of foul trouble. And when he did, he was less effective uh, he really developed his post game. His offensive arsenal was much better this year. And defensively, he was incredible. He was 25th in the country in block rate, uh, which tells you how many, what percentage of blocks you get of two point shots while you're in the game. 10% of the two point shots that went up while Eli was in the game got blocked by him. That's a pretty incredible stat. Uh, one of the best in the country. So I think I've got to go with Eli. I'm going to go with Dante Grantham, and I know he didn't finish the season, but in the body of work that he did have, he nearly doubled his his scoring per game from last year up to 14.2 points, um, up from 7.3 last year. His shooting percentage was up 18 points, 56% shooting the ball. And what that really means 
because his three-point shooting went up well, 10 points from 32 to 42%, but his inside presence and his ability to, to get in the lane and score within the arc uh, was greatly improved this year, and is something that we really needed to see from him. It's unfortunate that um, he wasn't able to finish out the season, but I, I absolutely think that he's the most improved. And seven rebounds a game, you know, pretty solid there, there as well. So all around, I, I think based on our expectations, he – or and based off what we saw from him last year, I think that he was, in, in my opinion, the most improved. Um, kind of a similar, uh, a, a similar accolade. We're going to go breakout player now. Um, I considered Gabe DeVoe for most improved, but looking over the stats and everything, just kind of thinking about it, I went with Grantham. But I would consider DeVoe maybe the breakout player because I wasn't expecting anything from him based on really what I saw from him in his first three years at Clemson. He did double his scoring average up to 14.2 points a game as well this year. Um, and I mean, the reason that I don't have, I didn't have him as most improved is because his shooting percentages didn't rise as much, but man, he had some incredible performances year uh, performances that I had never thought he had. I didn't think that he had it in him, especially the way he performed in the NCAA tournament. So that was absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's a great choice. Uh, I mean, if you look at his Twitter presence now, he's got the Bobby Buckets nickname that's all over the place. And um, his his shooting percentages went up a good bit, too. He went from never shooting better than 33% from three and shot nearly 40% this year. Um, shot 519 from twos and 450 overall. He had a great year. Uh, but my breakout player, I'm going to go with Amir Sims. Um we talked about him before the season started, and I told you he was probably my favorite freshman coming in. I thought he was going to be great. Uh, but for somebody who has to fill in for your most improved player, Dante Grantham, he did an incredible job of stepping up from being a freshman playing five to ten minutes a game to one of our starters and being a, a defensive cog right behind Eli and scoring uh, a bunch of points for us. He was just – he developed so well and – now he's one of the key guys going forward next year, and he's just going to have – he's turned into a great player. Yeah, I mean, a lot of valuable experience he got this year, and you mentioned it, um, how valuable that was for him to be able to step in for Dante Grantham. I've got him as my best freshman or my rookie of the year. Four points a game, three rebounds, and only 15 minutes of play. But again, those are a little bit skewed. If we look at the window yep. that happened after uh, – that occurred after Dante Grantham went down, those numbers are going to be even higher. So I have him as my freshman of the year. Yeah, freshman of the year. If I'm trying to stay away from, from doing the up. same person yeah. multiple times, I'm I was using Amir as my my breakout, so um, I'm going to leave him off that list for best freshman. And I think uh, I've got to go with Clyde Trap for best freshman besides Amir. Um, AJ is obviously up there as well, uh, but Clyde filled in throughout the season and really contributed when Shelton was either hurt or. Um, you know, in foul trouble or struggling, Clyde did a really good job of leading the offense and kept us under control and did a good job running everything. Uh, that's such a hard position to play at any level in basketball, and he did a really good job filling that that the shoes of Shelton Mitchell. All right, so how about your sixth man? Who you got there? Again, Amir is high on my list, uh, but since he was a starter towards the end of the year, I'm going to take him out. Um, and I'm actually I'm going to go with David Scara as our sixth man of the year. I got me. him too. That's who I wrote in. Um, reasons are many fold, but uh, his his defense and leadership on the team um, and keeping guys 
heads on straight was just huge for us, especially late in the season. Well, yeah, it definitely wasn't his offensive production. That's uh, an area of his game that he could certainly stand to improve upon next year. Uh, but yeah, his tenacious defense, and I think it kind of solidified it for me in that second half, uh, what he did against Grayson Allen and Duke. So we talked about a lot this year how improved the defense was on this team, and a lot of it has to do with David Scar. You know, you don't need five guys out there that are going to be you know putting up double-digit points. Having a guy like Scar, especially to lock down a you know team's leading player. Um, it's super valuable, and he played that role well this year. I mean, he always had the energy. Yeah, he wasn't the best on the offensive end, but um, he served his role quite well. He did. He was great. Um, so before we get to our, our season MVP, Ben, who who's your fan favorite for the season? Oh, man. Marquise Reed. I think he was absolutely incredible. Just highlight reels, um, led the team in scoring, uh, just really exciting to watch him play, especially when he gets hot and really take over a game. I think out of anybody on the team who consistently was able to take over games, it was him. Now, Gabe DeVoe, yeah, in the tournament, but I think throughout the season, Marquise Reed. You know, for the for the fan favorite, I sort of waffled on how I wanted to think about it. You can go with the guys who get limited minutes, the guys like Miles Davis who are uh, walk-ons and, and are practice players, essentially, who get three minutes a game for like two games a season. Um, but I wanted to keep it to guys who were getting solid playing time. So I think Keese is a really great choice, but I got to go with Gabe. Um, the whole Bobby Buckets persona and what he did towards the end of the season, going three straight games with 20 plus in the tournament and just carrying the team on his back when Dante went down, the way he stepped up was incredible. And I think people are going to really wish him well as he goes off and, and, tries to uh, start a professional career in the NBA and um, wish him luck wherever he ends up. Yeah. Incredible performance again by um, him at the end of the year and between him and Grant, I'm so proud of those guys for, there are a lot of doubters, including us because honestly we hadn't seen a lot. Yeah. Dante uh, scored double digits in his sophomore season, but it was kind of deceiving the way it all uh, came together. But uh, yeah, both of them this year, congrats to those guys. They stuck it out. They were incredible leaders for this team, and especially for Gabe, really exciting and happy for him, even though it ended a loss, just how well he played throughout the tournament. Um, so, yeah, let's get on to our season MVP. Um, a lot of different guys you could possibly choose from here. I mean, really any of the starters, any right? Any of the starters were very, well, yeah, any of the starters were very valuable in their role, if you're including Dante Grantham there. Mm -hmm. um, who do you have? I've got Dante. Um he went down middle of the season, two thirds of the way through the season. And we just, it was, it was crushing to the team that performance in the Virginia game, the night after two days after whenever it was um, really showed his immediate loss, but just the way he elevated his game, like you talked about, um, he became one of the best scorers on the team. One of the best rebounds, rebounders on the team. He was the one best of the best all, assist guys, best all around player. So well-rounded. Uh, improved his defense, improved his post play. He improved in every area and he just, he was such a, a guiding force for this team and the way that he stayed with the team after his injury and constantly was talking up the other players and the, and the team's achievements. I just, he's clearly the leader of the team and I, I got to give him my MVP. Yeah. And I think it's reasonable to think that Clemson could have entered the tournament at a three seed had he not gone down. 
um, and made an even deeper run in the tournament. Absolutely. I mean, with him on the court, I think they beat Kansas. I definitely have the possibility. Yeah, you Kansas. hope, Not you that hope they we don't go down 20. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe they wouldn't necessarily been matched up in that reason, uh, region. Uh, mm-hmm. Excuse me. I, I think with Dante Grantham, maybe we wouldn't have ended up in San Diego in the first round. You never know. At, at the very least. But uh, I've actually got Shelton Mitchell. Um, I, I, I struggle between him and Dante Grantham. But I just think, you know, after Dante's injury, we lost the game against Virginia. But the team still... Uh, pulled it back together and played pretty well. But when Shelton Mitchell went down, you saw the offense just couldn't do anything. They were completely crippled um, without having uh, you know their main point guard out there. Both Gabe and uh, Marquise Reed struggled. Yep. Uh, the defense locked down on the perimeter, focused on this, those two guys, and they just weren't getting good looks. And you saw that team struggle. They went on that three-game losing screen. And granted, one of those was against FSU, where Shelton Mitchell played most of that game, got injured there towards the end. But I just think, from from my perspective, uh, with the eye test, just the way that the team performed without him and then how they were able to bounce back um, with him when he came back, I've got him as my, my team MVP. But I don't think you could go wrong with him or Dante Grantham. Yeah, and I think that's true of, of Eli or Gabe or anybody else that you want to pick to, to put in that spot. Our starters all had incredible years, and... We had some uh, some awesome moments throughout the season as well. You already mentioned your favorite, which was the uh, the Auburn game. Yeah, that that was just that blowout in the tournament. It's it kind of felt like to me Clemson's blowout uh, Clemson's blowouts in the college football semifinal games against Ohio State and Oklahoma because you go in thinking that it's going to be a tough game, it's going to be close, and then all of a sudden in halftime you're you're kicking their butt and like. More than yeah. halfway through the game, or less than halfway through the game, you're like, we got this. We're going to win. And that's how it was against Auburn. I never felt that Auburn was really going to make a run and come back, and Clemson just dominated them. Yeah, such a drastic difference between the pregame nerves and how you're feeling 20 minutes into the game. Um, I think that Ohio State game is a really good example. Obviously, the 31-point victory is a, another yeah. tie-in, but we were so nervous going into both those games. At least games. Auburn scored in this game. Yeah. <laughs> Thank God. That would have been scary. Um, but yeah, that was a, a wonderful moment for this team going sort of chronologically. Another one that I had early on in the season was our, our win over Florida. It was the first, uh, ranked win we had of the season and it was against a team that was projected to be much better than we were coming into the year. And we had a winning streak, but we hadn't beaten anybody, uh, anybody serious yet really. And it just, it set the momentum and the the tone for this season. I, I think it really was a sort of a hallmark for the team to say, yeah, we can beat anybody this year. Yeah, and I think going into conference play with only one loss and then actually looking good and winning some games early on in the conference, uh, that was huge too because we've seen Clemson teams in the past do well in non-conference play because Clemson doesn't necessarily schedule the toughest non-conference opponents. Um, so you can't always tell, but I mean, they rolled right into ACC play and we're cruising along doing fine until Grantham went down. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and in, in ACC play, we had a number of awesome victories. We had the close uh, games against Virginia and Duke that we didn't quite pull out. Um, but we did beat somebody that we hadn't beaten in a while. Uh, unfortunately, not in Chapel Hill, but we did beat UNC at home, which was another one of those games where it's, uh, you know, the team realized, hey, we can we can do this. We can beat these elite blue blood teams that in years past we had no chance of competing with. Um, that game was a lot of fun to watch for me. Um, well, it's always fun when you see Clemson able to beat Duke or North Carolina. Yeah. So that was a big one. Um, 
But I think we already talked a good bit about my favorite moment of the season, which was Gabe's game against Kansas. Uh, it just felt like such a good way for him to tie up his entire career at Clemson, going from a guy who shot horribly and played terrible perimeter defense as a freshman and sophomore to a decent contributor last year to this year coming into the season mostly unheralded uh, and exiting it with the best tournament game for many Clemson player ever. Best tournament nickname. Yeah, it was uh, it just it was sort of the pinnacle of a great season for him. And I I just loved watching him go out that way, even though we ended up losing the game. How about Shelton, uh, Shelton Mitchell's dunk in that Kansas game? Oh, it was incredible. That was so good. <laughs> I didn't know he had it in him. No, yeah, that's like little, that, that knee's okay, huh? Yeah, that little 5-0 run by Shelton in the middle of the game. Yeah. Oh, man, that dunk was emphatic. Yeah. Um, well, that's it. That is uh, the 2017-2018 Clemson basketball season. They de- They defied our expectations. And it was really enjoyable to be able to watch and follow this team all year long. Even in their losses, I love the effort that this team gave. I really respect them and Coach Brownell a ton for that. Um, it was never a boring watch uh, this year outside of the, that first UVA game. So kudos to this team. They made a sweet, sweet 16 run. They came close there at the end against Kansas, but ultimately it wasn't to be. But, hey, coming back next year, a lot of exciting things. We expect big things for this Clemson basketball team next year. They've got talent coming back. They've got talent coming in. Um, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun next few years for Clemson basketball, and it's really awesome to have something to do in the football offseason. Yeah. Thanks for a great season, guys. Go Tigers. All right. With that, let's turn over to baseball. Okay, as I mentioned in the intro, the Clemson baseball team has bounced back from uh, – a series sweep against North Carolina State earlier in the year. It was actually the first series sweep suffered by Clemson in the Monty Lee era. Uh, they're currently 23-6, and 8-4 and four in the ACC. That's good for second in the ACC Atlantic behind NC State. They are 7-2 and two since our last check-in um, with a 2-1 to one series win over Louisville, who is a, a, a highly ranked uh, baseball team. A series sweep over Boston College. They were 1-1 one one against Coastal Carolina, who is also a good and ranked baseball team, and 1-0 and oh against Furman. Um, so, uh, looking at the record, really nothing to be disappointed at there. Kind of looking at some of the highlights, uh, from these games, a few things stick out to me and Clemson's three to one series opening win against Louisville. Jacob Hennessy pitched a career long seven in the third innings, only giving up five hits and one run. Um, then skipping up to the Furman game, Seth beer three for three with a grand slam and five RBIs. That started a four-game streak, uh, the home run streak by Seth Beer, which was pretty incredible to watch. Um, and then Hennessy again in the first game of the BC series, six innings pitched, one run, none earned. Uh, he improved there to three and one of the year. So really great pitching by Jacob Hennessy um, in his past few outings. And then finally, uh, the Coastal Carolina game, which just happened last night, Spencer Strider taking a no-hitter into the seventh inning, uh, ended up uh, giving up two hits, one on run, and six and two-thirds. Had seven strikeouts. He's really come on lately. Uh, he's 3-0 and in the year. So, yeah, uh, pretty good stretch for Clemson baseball. Um, there are some little warts on this team that are concerning. Right now, as a team, they only have a two forty nine batting average, which is good for about 220th um, in college baseball out of... Uh, just about 300, Just right? about 300 yeah. teams. So... Um, Picking it up a little bit 
as of late. I mean, they outscored opponents forty-three to fifteen over their last uh, over the last five games. So, um, bright spot, Seth Beer. Absolutely, super bright. Uh, he's at ten home runs on the season now, which I think is tied for fifth in the country, something like that. Um, yeah, he's been leader has fourteen. He's tied for fifth with yeah. a bunch of other guys. He's been on an incredible hot streak. Uh, those four games where he hit home runs were not just that wasn't his only hit of the game for most of them. Uh, multiple two hit games and the three for three with the grand slam game. Uh, he's been incredible. And other stuff that has looked really good is we've got a number of guys who were on the bench. I think Monty is still sort of trying to figure out the rotation and who's going to start when and all that kind of stuff. But um, guys like uh, Jordan are Jordan green, Jordan green. Yeah. Has, has come on hot lately and has really been hitting well. Uh, at second base and the games where we don't score our pitchers are holding us in the game and keeping it close. So there's not going to be many blowouts this year. Hopefully the pitchers have looked a lot stronger than we maybe anticipated coming into the season. Yeah. And specifically talking about the hitting, even in these, even especially also in the, the series against Louisville, we were scoring runs and the same thing against BC, but not, not necessarily getting a ton of hits. Uh, the problem uh, prior to that against NC State through the Louisville game was really the top half of the order, guys, one through four. Um, their average in those series and then the midweek game against Coastal Carolina, they were only hitting 190 with 27 walks and uh, 60 strikeouts. And it wasn't just on one guy. It was all of them. The, the hottest hitter during that streak was uh, Logan Davidson. He was batting 200. But since then... Um, Against Furman, BC, and Coastal, those four guys have combined to average 280, 35 walks, and only 39 strikeouts. So a much better balance there. That being said, a couple of guys still struggling a little bit. Cromwell down to uh, has only been hitting 211 in that stretch. Chris Williams only 211 in that stretch as well. He's been driving in some runs, six RBIs. Logan Davidson much better, batting 333 during that stretch. But Seth Beer talked about him nine for 16. Over the past five games, 563 average, four home runs, and 13 RBIs. He's playing out of his mind right now. Yeah, he's just out of control. And if he just continues to hit home runs pretty much every game, he's going to do some good things for the team record. And you mentioned Jordan Green. Um, since his second game uh, when he started against Louisville, he's batted 364 with nine runs scored, a home run, um, and four RBIs. It's really good to see him get hot because the second base position has been a struggle for Clemson this year. Yeah, Grayson Bird come in. He's cooled off a little bit. His batting average is down to 260. He was still hitting okay. He's not the worst on the team. Uh, and then Justin Hawkins was really struggling. He's got a 179 average with 18 strikeouts and 28 at-bats. So I think you're going to see a lot less of him. Um, he just needs to develop a little bit more and become more disciplined at the plate. But Jordan Green has been a, a huge shot in the arm for this Clemson offense. An offense that's only batting, again, like I said, 249. That is not what we expected leading into, coming into the season. We thought that the offense was going to be the strong suit. Uh, they're still driving in runs. They, they're still hitting with power. But we need to see that average start to come around because uh, there's only one guy on the team right now hitting over 300, and that's Cooper. He doesn't play a lot. so Yeah, Jordan Green right at 300. But... It's the reason that we're still able to win so many of these games is is timely hitting, first of all. 
Uh, we're still driving in runs despite not getting a ton of guys on base. We are getting a good number of walks so far this year as well. Uh, we've been walked 164 times to our opponents, 105 so far this season. So yeah, guys speaks, are getting on base. That speaks to both our pitchers not walking a lot of guys, but uh, the batters are really seeing pitches well. Seth Beer has been walked 26 times, Logan Davidson 27, Cromwell 23. So these guys are seeing the ball well. They're just not necessarily hitting it in the right spots. Um, but the midweek pitchers and the relievers have really kept us in games and uh, given us a chance to win games with only three or four runs, uh, despite the lack of fantastic hitting. Yeah, um, all around, well-rounded hitting as far as average is concerned. Talking about the pitching, uh, we mentioned Jacob Hennessy. He continues to be solid. He's got a one nine four ERA. We talked about his last two games, 13 and a third inning and he's pitched only one earned run. Uh, so he's been fantastic. Brooks Crawford, he is what he is with, at this point. He's going to get you somewhere between four and five innings a game, but he's got a 316 ERA. We guys, we got guys like Ryan Miller and Travis Moore who can come in and, and eat up innings there in the middle of the game, so that's worked out well. Jake Higginbotham, he's been struggling a little bit. His ERA is up to 411 on the year, um, and his innings pitched per game continues to go down. He only threw four and two-thirds and uh, three innings in his last two games. His last five starts, he's got a 596 ERA, averaging less than four and two-thirds innings pitched per game. So this could be one of those things where not uh, pitching a whole heck of a lot in his freshman year after the starting the season as a Sunday starter, um, and then missing all of last year uh, with injury, maybe starting to catch up to him. So hopefully that's not the case, but that's something to keep an eye on because Things are kind of clicking, going well for, for Clemson right now without you know, two of their three uh, weekend starters going deep into ball games and without uh, the team hitting on all or clicking on all cylinders at the plate. Um, but so the, the record and the wins can be a little bit deceiving. There are things for this team to work on. But I mentioned Ryan Miller and Travis uh, Moore, both guys super dependable out of the pen. Uh, Miller with a 2-4-2 ERA, Moore with a 2 9 Two ERA, more specifically a 1-1 ERA over his last 16 and the third innings pitch spanning six games. Miller, he's struggled a little bit over his last eight and a third innings pitch. He's got a 5-40 ERA, but um, that could be just an anomaly over the last four appearances. We'll continue to monitor that. But what we mentioned earlier on in the season is we've got a lot of young, talented guys, long, young, talented arms there on the pitching staff, but the key factor being they are young. So, we still need to closely monitor how that affects them over the course of a long season. Spencer Strider, on the other hand, we mentioned his great game against Coastal Carolina. His ERA, which was up in the fives and six, close to seven at times this year, he's got it down to, to 4.12. It was actually under four going into the uh, seventh inning in that game against Coastal. But his yep. last 14 and two-thirds innings pitch, a one-two-three ERA, Seven walks, that's a key number, to 20 strikeouts. Yeah, his strikeout game has been fantastic. He's got 36 on the season, um, which is second on the team behind Hennessy, who's been fantastic, as you just mentioned. So these guys are, some of them are seeming to find their form. We'll see if uh, it'll continue throughout the season, but guys like Miller and Marr and um, Riley Gilliam needs a mention as well. He's got a, a 150, 150 ERA for the season so far. He's got four saves. Leads the team in saves. Um, and he was struggling there a little bit early on in the season, not necessarily getting up, uh, giving up runs, but getting guys on base. Not, uh, not We weren't too comfortable with him being exactly. the designated closer on this team. 
Yeah. But he's given up no runs over his last four and two-thirds innings pitch with two walks to six strikeouts. So that is encouraging. If we can kind of um, shore up the the back end of the bullpen to close out games there, our middle relievers have been pretty good. Yep. Yeah, guys like Higginbotham and Gilliam who are either coming back off injury or finding themselves in new roles or sort of trying to establish themselves, it's good to see them – find some traction. So Gilliam, the last couple innings that he's pitched has been really, really good. Uh, Higginbotham is sort of slipping the other direction. It'll be uh, telling for the rest of the season, how those guys figure out where they're supposed to be in the rotation and uh, whether they can pitch well for the rest of the year for us. And so that got me thinking a little bit about the weekend's starting rotation. I think what we've seen out of Spencer Strider at this point kind of locks him in um, as your main uh, weekday starter with, um, I think we've only got one other uh, uh, double weekday slate uh, this year. So I think that other position is either going to go to Sam Weatherly or Holt Jones. Both have been good and bad this year. (laughs) Um, So my question is, if Higginbotham continues to struggle there on Sunday and Strider keeps it up, continues to improve because he is, if not this year, is going to be a spectacular pitcher for Clemson. Do we see Monty Lee and Andrew C make a move and put Strider into that weekend rotation? I I think it's unlikely as long as Higginbotham continues to go about five or six innings, giving up maybe four runs or less, um, just because the kid is a freshman and you need to get him more experience. But that could turn into something when you get into postseason play, see him being used a little bit more. I wouldn't be totally surprised if we see him can, can keep it up. Again, the main key there is that his walk total has gone down. We know he's going to strike guys out. When his walk total goes down, that makes him a much more accurate pitcher, obviously. And he's going to have more strikeouts because with his stuff, guys are going to swing and miss more often than not. Yeah, I think it's probably more likely that they play with the weekend rotation and mix it up than maybe move him in. But I do think that you're totally right on postseason play and later in the year, he could definitely be used uh, in as a replacement for if anybody gets injured or if somebody's struggling still towards the end of the year, but as long as Higginbotham gets uh, continues to have what what we would consider quality outings, which is at least five innings and three, maybe four runs, no more than that. He, uh, he should stay in the rotation as, as a weekend starter, I think, but we'll, we'll see what Monty Lee does. So kind of switching it back to the, to the batting lineup here. Again, we mentioned this team has, has been struggling a little bit of late hitting the ball. Um, Mentioned Jordan Green and how well he's been playing Grayson Bird, even though he's cooled off a little bit, has been getting some some hits, had a home run against Coastal Carolina last night. Kyle Wilkie's a guy, the catcher. He's quietly starting to pull his average up a little bit. He's up to 226 above the Mendoza line. Cromwell, a guy we mentioned, he's down to 253. That's a, bit, a little bit concerning. But one of the exciting things that we're going to see, I was kind of surprised we didn't see him in there last night, but Keir Meredith, uh, the super talented freshman center fielder, He's been injured, but we're going to get him back now. I'll be interested to see if we get him back this weekend against Notre Dame. But that's a guy you put into the lineup there at center field. Uh, we think probably at this point, uh, eventually he's going to be your prototypical leadoff hitter. I think at this point you leave Davidson in that leadoff spot. You put Meredith kind of as your second leadoff guy down there in the, in the nine hole. And then that combined with how well Jordan Green's been playing, that allows you to shuffle this lineup a little bit. 
I wouldn't be surprised to see a lineup uh, with Green moved up to the, the second spot in the lineup, pushing Beer down to third, Williams at first base in the fourth spot, with a platoon of Jolly and Wharton uh, there at fifth. And, you know, dropping Cromwell to sixth, taking a little bit of pressure off him, and maybe even putting Bird in there uh, sometimes. I've also got Bird as a DH. Um, but I think this lineup starts to take a little bit more shape as we get more towards the end of the season, especially if Kier Meredith can come in there and actually be a valuable contributor to this team. Absolutely. He's super exciting. Uh, like you said, we'll probably see him back sometime this weekend against Notre Dame. I wouldn't be shocked if they only put him into one or two of those. There was a possibility he could have come back in uh, this past weekend against Boston he, College. So he's leading in. We thought that might be the case. Um, I really was kind of surprised not to see him play against Coastal Carolina, but I do expect to see him play against Notre Dame. Yeah, we should absolutely see him play at some point this weekend. Hopefully, as much as, as we can get him in, we will. Um, but I think, to your point with uh, the shuffling of the lineup, the coaches have already started to do that a lot, right? Because Jordan Green did not uh, did not start the season as one of the guys in the day-to-day lineup, and now he is because he's hitting hot. So I think with more guys who could potentially get hot – gives Monty Lee the ability to shuffle guys in and out as they're playing well and when the matchups suit. And it should be a, a good challenge for him to to find those right matchups and play the hot hand. Well, yeah, and even if Meredith is playing well enough once he gets in there to put him in the leadoff role, maybe moving Davidson down to second, um, you can shuffle Green back to, to sixth even. I mean, that gives you a pretty good one through six right there. Uh I think this team will bounce back uh, from the hitting slump. I think we've already started to see that. It'll be interesting to see going forward if they're able to maintain their success because this team is not spectacular right now in any one area. They're not a team that has such dominating pitching that they can afford to get by scoring two, three, four runs a game. They're also uh, not hitting so well against quality opponents that they can overcome uh, giving up six, five or six runs a game. So, you know, still a lot of moving parts, still a lot of shuffling around is going to happen and still a little unknowns and, and things to fix on this team. But that being said, if we see it all start coming together, uh, this could be a dangerous team uh, come playoff time. Absolutely. We've we've been fairly lucky so far this year in close games. We're eight and two in one run games, which is is better than you'd normally expect uh, percentage wise. But we've also had 11 games this year where we scored five plus runs and we're 10 and one in those games, which tells you a couple things. First of all, we're very capable of going big and hit and scoring a lot of runs. Uh, and second, the pitchers are not giving up huge, um, huge numbers of runs and putting us in holes. Um, we've given up no 10 plus run games, uh, so far this season. And we're four and two in games where we give up six to nine. So, uh, the, the batting is there at times, uh, it's just a matter of finding that consistency. Well, we've spoken to it before, the the ability of this team to come back and never feel like they're out of a ballgame when they're down. I mean, that has continued into this year. Um, it's just really the mentality, I think, that we've seen out of Monty Lee's team, uh, teams over the past uh, two and a half years now at Clemson. Um, they're, they're never going to up, give up. And they have a real strong mental approach to the game that was really lacking there under Jack Leggett there at the end. So... Really, um, really exciting stuff. Still kind of unknown how far they're going to go this year. Again, still a few things to fix, but definitely trending up, trending up for this Clemson baseball team. Uh, coming up, I mentioned we've got Notre Dame this weekend. They are 11-16 on the year, 4-8 in the ACC. So 
Um, they are not a tough opponent. The weather's not going to be great up there in South Bend, so we'll see how that affects the team. We then got a midweek game against Georgia next week in North Augusta. Clemson should be the home team there, designated home team. Uh, Georgia, good baseball team this year, 22-7 on the year, 7-2 in the SEC. Uh, so look out for that. Follow that up by a home series uh, against Miami. They're uh, not playing as well as we're typically uh, we typically see Miami play. They're only twelve and fifteen, six and six in the ACC, tied for fourth in the Coastal. Uh, but still, Miami always a dangerous team. Uh, then we follow that up with the second uh, second part of the Georgia series with a game in Athens. That'll be the midweek game after that. So still a lot of baseball left to play on this season. We'll see where it goes, but so far, so good. Just like in basketball, they're keeping us entertained, and it's really fun watching this team play. So that's all we got. That wraps it up for the basketball season. We won't be checking in until sometime next year. Unless we have some fantastic news about transfers or somebody doing something amazing. Unless Zion decides to renege on his Duke. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah, You never know. That's not going to happen. Yeah, so that does it for basketball. An incredible season. Again, for Brad Rennell and the boys, really proud of them and just thank them for the entertainment and the effort and the way that they represented Clemson University throughout the season. We will continue following the baseball team, and then we're also going to get into some football now. We've got the spring game coming up, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. I mentioned the paw drills are going on right now. A lot of good tidbits coming out of Clemson practice. David Hood saying this is the most talent that he's seen on a Clemson uh, football team at his time covering university so that's really that's saying something yeah that is saying something it's really exciting to hear and then obviously we're following the quarterback battle we're gonna have cody back on here in a couple weeks talk about that talk a little bit about 2019 recruiting we've got millions of offers out right now but we're gonna try to kind of narrow our focus down on that into guys that uh, we're really super excited about and which guys are likely to sign with clemson we're hearing that maybe four guys over the next month or so maybe get some new guys sign on so look out for that And as usual, we appreciate all the feedback and all the interaction on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. Appreciate the iTunes reviews and then also the comments and the likes on SoundCloud. Keep that up. We appreciate it. And now as we start to move away from basketball, baseball obviously still going to be ongoing, but we'll go into kind of a dead period in football. We'd like to hear from you guys. What would you like to hear us talk about? kind of over the end of spring and then the summer months while we're waiting on other things, other developments to happen, waiting on fall practice to start back up. Let us know what you want to hear about, any controversies. Talk about selling beer at Death Valley. That's a good argument for us to get in. It's always spirited here on the podcast. Get us arguing with each other. It's easy for us to be on the same page when Clemson sports are doing well, and it's fun to talk about that. But, you know, get kind of bored in the offseason. Yeah, we need those offseason conversations that, that get us mad at each other. Yeah, controversy. It's entertaining. It adds is entertainment value. Tell us what you want. So that's all we got. Appreciate everybody listening in. One last big congratulations to Clemson men's basketball. Here's to hoping the baseball team keeps it up. As always, go Tigers. Hey there, Ben. I heard you're a good architect in San Francisco. My name is Cooper Renfro. I am Hunter Renfro's older brother. And I just wanted to say thank you for all the work you've done for Hunter and his and your time with the podcast. I know you're the host and also the person that promotes him most. No, no rhyme intended. You do such a good job promoting Hunter, and we appreciate you. The Renfro family appreciates you so much.
We appreciate you, Brian. We know you do such a good job. But the reason I wanted to reach out to you was because, well, we need you to do some more work for us. We need you to help us promote Hunter and Cupper, which is me. And because we're, 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 we're about to both enter the NFL combine. Now, I'm a kicker, and I heard you like kickers a lot. Hunter is a, he's a wide receiver. He does everything he does, and you've seen what he does. He's won national championships. That's what he does. No, me, I'm a kicker. I'm, you know, I wasn't, I didn't go to any college or in high school kicking, but I, but I generally kick things a lot in the backyard, and I kick the shit out of things, Mr. Ben, Mr. Wealthy. And I heard your promotional efforts through the Paul, the, is it the, is it the yeah. Paul, it's the Paul cast. It's the Paul cast. It's the Paul cast. I heard you do a lot of good work. So we want you to help us. And I also heard you're an architect. So I feel like you're the right person for this job. Give me a call back. 